0: Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the week's top political stories. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. We're here to give you the facts so you can form your own opinion. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for being with us. Today, we're joined by staff writer Doug Kronizel to take a look ahead at some of the state executive and legislative elections we're watching this year. Doug, thanks for joining me.
1: Hello, Victoria.
0: What's new besides this awesome sweater you're sporting?
1: I know. I This is one of those days where podcast is is an unforgiving medium. No one can see my cool 80s sweater that I'm wearing. So that's <laughs> that's for sure new. I'm just really right the sweater game right now.
0: Maybe someday we'll get around to video and photos and we'll share this glorious sweater with everybody else. <laughs> but for now, we're, we're just going to talk about state executive and legislative elections. So we can get into that. Three states are holding gubernatorial elections in 2023, and four states are holding regularly scheduled legislative elections in eight of the country's 99 state legislative chambers. Before we dive into those races individually, let's start big picture. Trifecta status is at stake in five states this year, which as a reminder for our listeners is when one party controls both chambers of the legislature and the governor's office. So Doug, why is trifecta status so important?
1: Changes in a state government's policy priorities often follow changes in trifecta status, as trifecta control affords a political party the opportunity to advance its agenda. Gaining or breaking trifectas, or in some cases, maintaining that divided government, thus often becomes a major priority for a party heading into each election cycle.
0: Got it. So trifectas represent a golden opportunity, you could say, for either political party. Did any states with a trifecta lose that status after the 2022 election?
1: Yeah, there were several trifecta changes in 2022, six to be precise. In Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, and Minnesota, we saw divided governments become democratic trifectas. In Nevada, the Democratic trifecta that was there became a divided government when Republicans won the governorship, and in Arizona, the Republican trifecta became a divided government when Democrats won the governorship. So, between 2010 and 2022, 79 state government trifectas were either broken or gained. So, you know, it's pretty pretty fluid, pretty common to see after each election cycle.
0: And so overall, in 2023, there are 22 Republican trifectas and 17 Democratic trifectas among the states. Two of the existing trifectas, Mississippi, a Republican trifecta, and New Jersey, a Democratic trifecta, have elections this year. We rated Mississippi as not vulnerable for the Republicans, but we see New Jersey, on the other hand, as moderately vulnerable. So what's the story with the Garden State?
1: New Jersey doesn't have a gubernatorial election in 2023. They had theirs in 2021. But all of the seats in both state legislative chambers are up for election, which could result in a lot of shuffling around among state legislators. Democrats in New Jersey currently hold a 25-15 majority in the Senate and a 46-34 majority in the Assembly. If Republicans have a net gain of five seats in the Senate or six seats in the House, that will change the majority status of that chamber and therefore break the Democratic trifecta in New Jersey. Democrats can maintain their trifecta if they, you know, lose fewer than 5 seats in the Senate or fewer than 6 seats in the House as like sort of a net total. Those 5 Senate seats represent around 13% of the seats in that chamber, so that would be a heavier lift for Republicans to, you know, clear that hurdle, but the 6 assembly seats represent 8% of the lower chamber. And to put things into perspective, in 2021, the last time these chambers held elections, Republicans gained six assembly seats. So it's not totally unheard of.
0: Interesting. How do we use information like that? How does the percentage of seats a party would need to gain or break a trifecta factor into our coverage?
1: For the past six years, we've published a page on trifecta vulnerabilities, basically to see where things have the highest likelihood of changing. And so gubernatorial race ratings, the percentage of seats in a legislative chamber, those all factor into how we how we make that determination. And we rate trifectas as not vulnerable, somewhat vulnerable moderately vulnerable and highly vulnerable. So when we say that New Jersey's trifecta is moderately vulnerable, that means there's definitely a possibility Republicans could win the handful of seats they would need in order to shake things up. But Democrats also might have enough of a buffer to prevent that from happening or you know, even extend their majorities.
0: So the Democrats might lose one of their existing trifectas, but they don't stand to gain any trifectas this year, according to our analysis, whereas Republicans, on the other hand, have a chance to pick up three trifectas. Kentucky looks to be slightly vulnerable, and the trifectas in Virginia and Louisiana are moderately vulnerable. The fate of Kentucky's trifecta status will likely come down to their crowded race for governor. The state currently has a divided government. Republicans control both legislative chambers, while uh, Governor Andy Bashir is a Democrat. The primaries for the gubernatorial race are May 16th. So Doug, how is the field shaping out?
1: Incumbent Governor Andy Bashir, like you said, a Democrat, faces two opponents in his primary, Pepe Martin and Jeff Young. Bashir was first elected in 2019. He received 49.2% of the vote uh, to defeat then-Governor Matt Bevin, Republican, who received 48.8%. So it was A really tight win for him in 2019. Uh, Bashir previously served as attorney general from 2015 to 2019 before becoming governor. And it's also worth noting that Andy Bashir is the son of Bevan's predecessor, former governor Steve Bashir, also a Democrat who served two terms as governor from 2007 to 2015. But as you mentioned, the race this year, super crowded, especially on the Republican side. There are 12 candidates vying for that nomination, including the current Attorney General, Daniel Cameron, the current auditor, Mike Harmon, Agriculture Commissioner Ryan Quarles, and former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Kelly Craft. Kentucky is one of four states that Trump won in the 2020 election, that currently has a Democratic governor. So its politics can be pretty complicated, but Democratic governors have led Kentucky for 64 of the past 76 years. Now, a lot of that corresponds with trends that we've seen in Southern states more broadly over the past half century, a sort of realignment there with Democratic dominance extending into the early 2000s before Republicans start making gains. But still in Kentucky, the state has only elected three Republican governors since World War II, each of whom served a single term. You had one in the sixties one in the early 2000s, and then Matt Bevin in 2015.
0: I didn't know that. That's really interesting that they've only had the three since World War II. In Louisiana, on the other hand, the race for governor is wide open. For the first time since 2015, there will not be an incumbent on the gubernatorial ballot in Louisiana. Incumbent John Bell Edwards, a Democrat, first elected in 2015 and reelected in 2019 is term limited. So who's vying to replace him and how might the state's unique majority vote electoral system factor into that?
1: Yeah, I'll start with the Louisiana's uniqueness. So, every candidate is going to appear on the same primary ballot regardless of their party affiliation. Now, that alone isn't super uncommon. Alaska, California, and Washington have similar systems, but unlike those states, any candidate in Louisiana can win during that primary election, outright, if they receive more than 50% of the primary vote. If nobody crosses that threshold, the top two vote getters will then advance to a later general election. There are eight candidates that we know of as of the start of this month, but it's going to be a bit more time before we can confidently kind of describe what the field is going to look like since the filing deadline extends all the way to August 10th. So that first and possibly final election will be held on October 14th. If nobody wins a majority in that race, the second election will be in mid-November.
0: Moving north to Virginia, another state with a divided government, they will have state legislative elections this year. That may change that.
1: Yeah, Virginia is one of two states where both major parties control one chamber. Democrats have controlled the Senate since 2019 and enter the election with a 22... 18 majority. They actually added to their majority earlier this year with a special election. Republicans have held a 52 48 majority in the House since 2021. So, this plus the state's Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, whose term ends in 2025, gives the state a divided government. If Democrats hold on to the Senate and regain control of the House, Virginia will continue to have a divided government. If Republicans win the Senate and hold on to the House, then It'll switch over and become a Republican trifecta. can control of the General Assembly, uh, Virginia's legislature also affects the state's judicial makeup, since Virginia is one of two states where legislators elect members to the state Supreme Court. According to c analysis' initial forecast, both chambers are rated tilt Democratic. The outlet reports that most districts are rated either solid Democratic or solid Republican, meaning candidates from those parties are heavily favored. This leaves just a handful of likely, leaning, and toss-up races to decide the overall outcome in those chambers.
0: Let's stick with the legislative election landscape before we come back to the executive. Eight of the country's 99 state legislative chambers are holding regularly scheduled elections in 2023. Elections in those eight chambers represent 578, or about 7.8% of the country's 7,386 state legislative seats. This is the most seats up for election in an odd-numbered year since 2011. Can you explain how the timing shakes out with all of this?
1: At 578 seats, Ms. Big for an odd-numbered year, only the New Jersey Senate House and the Virginia House hold elections every two years. The Virginia Senate, both chambers in Mississippi and Louisiana, they're every four years. So this is a year of alignment. The stars are aligning and we're having so many state legislative elections. We've also got a rare alignment in that all of these chambers are holding elections for the first time under new lines post-redistricting.
0: Wait, all of the chambers? You mentioned that Virginia and New Jersey held elections in 2021, but the census was in 2020. So... Yeah, in a normal
1: setting, those 2021 elections would have been held under new lines. But since the census data was released in August of 2021, New Jersey and Virginia didn't have enough time to redraw their districts before that election. That's why every chamber this year will be held under new lines.
0: So redistricting is just like that gift that keeps on giving. Well, we've got the timing down. What's the partisan balance look like at the state legislative level?
1: As of March 1st, the start of the month, we you know recalculate this figure every month. Republicans controlled around 55% of all state legislative seats nationally, while Democrats held 45%. Republicans hold a majority in 56 chambers and Democrats hold a majority in 41. Both chambers in Alaska have multi-partisan power-sharing coalitions. Looking at just the chambers up for election this year, we already mentioned that Democrats control both chambers in New Jersey and the Virginia Senate. Republicans control the remaining chambers, so the Virginia House, and then both chambers in Louisiana and Mississippi. But in addition to these regular elections, there's also the chance for some special elections, which can be pretty consequential too in these odd-numbered years.
0: Yeah, let's talk about those special elections, which can happen for all sorts of reasons. Between 2011 and 2021, we had an average of 74 special elections that took place each year. How many are slated for this year so far?
1: We've got 27 on our radar right now uh, across 12 states. These are being held for a variety of reasons. Like you mentioned, five are because the incumbent was appointed or won election or is running for election to some other office. 17 because the incumbent resigned and five because the incumbent passed away. As for the partisan breakdown, 16 of those seats... Are currently held by Democrats or were most previously held by Democrats, and 11 by Republicans.
0: And from that list, do any stand out to you?
1: The one I mentioned in Virginia Senate, that was the first really big one of the year. Incumbent Senator Jennifer Kiggins, a Republican, won election to Congress last year, so she had to you know, leave the state Senate in Virginia, the district held an election on January 10th and Democrat Aaron Roos won, giving the party that slightly larger majority that I was talking about a little while ago. And in Wisconsin, there's a pretty big election coming up on April 4th. In Senate District 8, Alberta Darling, a Republican, resigned. If Republicans win that special election and maintain the seat, they'll keep a hold of their veto-proof majority in the chamber. But if Democrats win, Republicans will lose that check against, Democratic Governor Tony Evers. Uh, so, you know, it's it's that certain threshold of members that you have where you have enough people from your party to override uh, a veto that might come down from the governor.
0: Let's look at some other features of these chambers. Louisiana is the only state with term limits that will have a general election in 2023. How are term limits factoring in?
1: Right off the bat, we know that newcomers are going to represent around 15% of the 144 seats up for election in Louisiana because of those term limits, which are you know the statutory limits that say how long a legislator can remain in office. Uh, That's because 22 incumbents, 16 Republicans, and six Democrats cannot run for re-election, so their seats are going to be open. In odd-numbered years between 2011 and 2021, Democrats averaged 12 term-limited legislators, while Republicans averaged 15 term-limited legislators. and That's all in Louisiana. The other states holding elections in odd years don't have term limits, like you said.
0: The 2023 cycle is the first time state legislatures in Louisiana, Mississippi, and the Virginia Senate will stand for re-election following President Joe Biden's election in 2020. So for some extra political context, Doug, could you remind our listeners of how state legislative chambers shifted in 2022?
1: Yeah, like not at all. Republicans had a net gain of 28 state legislative seats nationwide, representing 0.4% of all of the seats up for election last year. I don't think I can put into words how wild that is. There are thousands of seats up for election and the needle moved by literally less than half a percentage point. But even with that really tiny shift, Democrats won majorities in four chambers, the Michigan House and Senate, the Minnesota Senate and the Pennsylvania House. Uh, The Alaska Senate also changed from a Republican majority to a bipartisan majority made up of Democrats and Republicans. And the Alaska House changed from a multi-partisan majority made up primarily of Democrats and independents to one made up primarily of Republicans. But still, in the House, no single party has control of that chamber after 2022.
0: And before I let you go, Doug, if we include the down-ballot races, there are 36 state executive offices up for election across three states in 2023. Of those, 29 are held by Republicans and seven are held by Democrats. We already touched on Kentucky and Louisiana's gubernatorial races, but what can you tell us about the race for governor in Mississippi?
1: Mississippi's filing deadline was February 8th, so the field of candidates has already been finalized, and both parties will hold primaries on August 8th, and runoff's later in the month, if necessary. Brandon Presley, who's a member of the Mississippi's Public Service Commission, is the only Democratic gubernatorial candidate in the field. So he's going to advance to the general election no matter what, along with the independent candidate Gwendolyn Gray. The Republican primary features two candidates challenging incumbent Governor Tate Reeves, who is seeking a second term. Those challengers are David Hardegree and John Witcher.
0: Well, I think we about covered it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time as always. We look forward to having you back, Doug.
1: Yeah, yeah. Excited to talk more 2023 uh, the deeper we get into 2023.
0: And that's all for this week's episode of On the Ballot. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing and do us a solid by dropping a review of On the Ballot wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, if you have any questions, comments, or love for Ballotpedia, feel free to send it to us at ontheballot at Ballopedia.org or on Twitter at Ballotpedia. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for listening.